that kids who are naturally compliant need these skills the same as kids who uh, who struggle with challenging behaviors. But the disadvantage that compliant kids have is they don't present as many opportunities to learn from their mistakes because they're not mm. making as many mistakes. Welcome back to Adventure Parenting with Grace. I am Lori Donahue, and this is the Gospel Parenting Podcast, where we will walk with you through the joys of parenting and the most painful challenges so you can rise with courage, practical strategies, and hope to parent with purpose. Do you know of any kids that will do or say the exact opposite of what you say? If you say it's black, they say it's white. If you say the sky is up, they say no, it's down. If you say it's blue, they say, no, it is purple. Well, those kids can be very, very difficult. And Nicole Raiden is back with us today, and she has some really practical tools for difficult children, and they can be applied to compliant children as well. If you haven't listened to part one of Nicole Raiden's podcast that aired last week, then I suggest you go back and listen because she sets this up really, really well. She is going to give us all some tools that will be very, very practical in dealing with the oppositional child. So let's jump in and listen to her wonderful suggestions. Do you have maybe one or two of your favorite tools that mm-hmm. you you could kind of explain just to give a little bit more practicality to this? Yes, absolutely. So within Love and Logic, two of the highlights in terms of practical tools for people to use are, in my opinion, are enforceable statements and offering choices. So an enforceable statement is when talking with a child, explaining what you will do rather than, or what what you will do or allow rather than what the child is to do. So for example, I will start reading your bedtime story as soon as your body is still, or... I will, I will know that, or I will be serving dinner to all kids who are not laying on the floor crying. (laughs) (laughs) You are explaining, you're setting a limit by not saying sit at the table or not saying put on your shoes, but you're saying I drive kids to soccer practice who have their shoes on by four o'clock or whatever the boundary is. Mm -hmm. So you can watch a YouTube clip on enforceable statements. Um, It's a tool that it helps to look through examples. So you can also find those online um, Mm -hmm. to tailor to whatever your circumstance is. Um, So that's a good one to start with. It really is helpful for difficult children because it diffuses or it sets the stage not to have a power struggle. Um, Difficult kids are often fighting for control in their life for whatever reason that is they feel a sense of of out of controlness and so um, offering enforceable statements sets the stage for a conversation rather than a fight so because if you say put your shoes on then an oppositional child will say no way i'm not going to do it and that will just lead to a power struggle an argument whereas Mm -hmm. when you just describe what you are going to do it is it is not as easy to jump into a power struggle because mm-hmm. you can just repeat. Well, like, I mean, if you don't put your shoes on by 4 p.m., then we don't go to soccer practice. That's okay. I'm okay with that reality. And it's an enforceable statement. It's not, if you don't, 
put your shoes on by 4 p.m., I'm going to sell you at Target. Yeah. You know, like it's not something that you say sell you at Target. Yeah. It's not, (laughs) it's not something that the kid knows you're not going to follow through. Empty threats are useless with Mm -hmm. difficult children. With Mm -hmm. compliant children, sometimes those kinds of threats work, you know, like, okay, well, I'm leaving and see you later. And then they run after you. But for kids with uh, oppositional tendencies, they'll want to they'll want to test you and be like, she's not really going to leave me. She's not going to call the cops and (laughs) let them take me if I don't get in the car, whatever. Yeah. So enforceable statements. And then the second tool is simply offering choices. So this is something that's really emphasized in love and logic. Kids, all people, not just kids, Mm -hmm. yearn for control over some of their lives. And if you think about it, kids have very little control over anything in their life. Um, Their schedules are dictated to them by someone else. What they're eating is often dictated. Like all elements of their life are controlled by somebody else. Mm -hmm. And offering choices is something that is emphasized in love and logic. So this is offering small choices throughout the day sharing appropriate amounts of control with a child over their life. So it can be as simple as like for a preschooler, do you want a blue cup or a yellow cup? Do you want to eat your dinner at the table or at the coffee table? Do you want to put your shirt on first or your socks on first? Just sharing control in small ways can help diffuse the need for kids that are, that are trying to grab control wherever they can find it. Mm-hmm. So the love and logic uh, encourages people to offer to share control through small choices throughout the day mm-hmm. so that diffuses the need for kids to try to desperately grab it. Yeah, <laughs> that's like. really good. And it would seem to me that you have to be careful that both of those choices are choices that you're happy with. You Absolutely. know, if you don't allow them to eat in the living room, then that wouldn't mm-hmm. be a choice. Absolutely. But, yeah. It's not a test. Are you going to uh-huh. choose the right choice, right? Love and logic really is geared towards helping kids be able to make their own choices, mm-hmm. make their own mistakes and learn to live with them. So it's mm-hmm. never, you'll want to offer two choices, both choices that you as a parent can live with mm-hmm. and both choices that are positive and productive. So it's mm-hmm. not, you can choose to eat your dinner or sit in time out. That's not really a choice. It's just a different way of saying eat your dinner or else. <laughs> um, so you want to offer a choice that's two positive things. Keep mm-hmm. always keeping it positive and um, making it look like you as the caregiver, as a parent, it, nothing makes you sweat, right? Nothing is going to get you riled up because that can be really stimulating for a kid that's mm. looking for control is control over you as the adult. Right, 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 right. You know, the other thing I, that I like about this is that it will allow them to learn skills mm-hmm. that they might not otherwise learn. I was one who couldn't make decisions. Even in my early 20s, I would have trouble mm-hmm. deciding where to go to dinner because all my decisions were made for me. And while then I never made really, really poor decisions because I wasn't allowed to, Mm -hmm. I didn't learn how to make my own decisions. So this is a really good tool to help them learn decision-making and independence. And you can probably give them a little bit more leeway on choices as they get older. So they're Mm -hmm. gradually learning how to be independent rather than going from total dependence to suddenly 
have to be independent. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point. And it actually, I recently reread the Love and Logic, Parenting with Love and Logic book. Um, and towards the end, that was one of the things that they were highlighting was that kids who are naturally compliant need these skills the same as kids who uh, who struggle with challenging behaviors. But the disadvantage that compliant kids have is they don't present as many opportunities to learn from their mistakes because they're not mm. making as many mistakes. Mm. And so a loving parent of a compliant child will help them make their own decisions so that they can learn from them rather than telling them what to do. I myself was a very compliant child. Mm-hmm. And that meant I didn't get in trouble. I was very easy. And, you know, teachers always chose, you know, a pleasure to have in class as their little comment (laughs) on my report cards. But I had almost no practice when I hit adulthood in making decisions. And that presented as a lot of anxiety and uh, and just challenges that I had to face later on. One mm-hmm. big thing in Love and Logic that they say over and over again is you want to provide opportunities for kids when the price tags are small, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Learning that you can't take what's not yours. The price tag is small when you're three and a half. It's much bigger when you're 17 and a half, yeah. right? right? If you take a block from a friend and learn from that, and that's the situation rather than you take a car off the street and then are charged with grand theft auto, the price tags are very different. So the more mistakes that the kids can, kids can learn from at the littler they are is the, it pays off in, in tenfold as, as they get older, because they are continually learning and improving their decision-making abilities. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so good. I wish I knew these better when I was raising my kids. When a child is really acting out in the middle of an episode, they're really hard to connect with. You know, it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> they don't want to communicate. You probably yeah. don't want to communicate with them much either. So how do you connect with a child mm-hmm. who's in an episode and acting out? It's a it's a great question. So a couple of important things. Uh, one is using a quiet voice. So a kid that is escalated, that is dysregulated in their emotions will continue to escalate even more if you match their level. Uh So speaking in a quiet voice, the louder they get, the quieter you get. And they Mm. are probably not going to be like, oh, you're quiet. Now I'm calm. (laughs) It's just that you will not be making the situation more challenging. They need a steady presence in order to re-regulate, to come back down. So using a quiet voice very important. I would also recommend finding a broken record response that fits the situation. Mm-hmm. So that could sound like, I hear you, or I'll be happy to talk with you about this as soon as your voice is as calm as mine. And that might make them rage at first, like, I'm never going to calm down. <laughs> but, uh, but saying it multiple times can help you stay even keeled. And consistently communicates that they are heard, they are seen, they are valued, you will want to follow up with them, that you just need to ride out this like stress cycle. Something that also has worked for me in the past is, and this was when kids were in in a rage that was uh, really severe. So we worked with, I worked with kids at a faith-based nonprofit with emotional and behavior disorders. And so sometimes it would escalate 
to a point that was almost dangerous for the child themselves that they they were almost that they could be in a danger to themselves and so not that this always has to be that severe but something that i found was quietly praying over them or even singing not in a not in a way to infuriate them further right like not mm-hmm. in a uh, babying way but in a genuine way mm-hmm. just talking to god saying you know i i pray that this child uh, would be able to feel your presence, would be soothed by your spirit. Just mm-hmm. speaking truth and calm over a child briefly, you know, doesn't need to be a whole sermon prayer or 20 <laughs> minutes of praying, but just can uh, can have a calming effect and mm-hmm. can, you know, open the door for you to be more receptive to the Lord and the Holy Spirit guiding you in that. Oh, moment. that's good. Yeah. And you referred to this, but I can picture some parents wanting to teach their kids the lesson in the prayer. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and I would strongly <laughs> encourage you not to do that. Not to, you know, I pray that Johnny would just eat his dinner or whatever the issue is. And that's not the time. It's more to pray for a spirit of peace, for calm, and for them to feel loved and for them to, etc. Um, it does point to a couple of important things not to do. Do not try to reason with them. That is not going to connect with them. It is going to backfire and it's just going to make you frustrated. Okay. So the time for uh, debriefing is when both people are calm. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not display anger and frustration, like I said before, because that will just continue to escalate it and and as well as not raising your voice. Mm-hmm. If you feel yourself unable to hold back, it is appropriate to say, wow, I'm starting to feel really frustrated. I'm going to take a break for a minute and like I'll come back and check on you in a moment or or whatever it is to verbalize how you are taking care of yourself and acknowledging that you also get frustrated, but not acting out in frustration. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really good. Okay. Now, one of the things that occurs to me is we as parents, God has given us the job of being the authority in their lives and they have to learn authority. They have to learn authority Mm -hmm. everywhere they go. If they are in school, you know, when they're working, when they're older or police, we all need to know authority and ultimate authority comes from God. And we Mm -hmm. definitely need to know God's authority. So if you're just giving them choices, are they necessarily learning that they have to respond in a certain way toward authority? Mm, Good question. I think that the love and logic approach does establish a healthy respect for authority in a little bit of a different way. So sometimes people think that respecting authority means you have to obey direct commands. That's one way that you are displaying respect of authority, but it's not necessarily going to be immediately successful, especially for difficult children. So one way of teaching kids about respecting authority is the first rule of love and logic. Adults take care of themselves by setting limits in loving ways. So you do choose the limits. Dinner is served at six o'clock for everyone who is is at the kitchen table. So if that is a limit that you are setting, if that is important for your family rhythm and you're going to allow the kid to choose to eat their dinner at the point in time or do something else, then you have to follow through with whatever that limit is. And you have set it for you have described what you are going to do. So that's what where the enforceable statements come in. 
you can really quickly undermine your authority by giving a command to a child that they can choose to disobey. Because then they're like, see, I can decide not to listen to you. And then I get this great feeling of control, even if it like some kids will just want the control so badly that they will even turn down things that are good. So like if if they if a kid with oppositional tendencies, if you say eat that ice cream, it is highly probable that they will say no just <laughs> just to counteract you because that is more that is giving them a feeling of control that they are desperately needing or whatever it is. So when you set firm limits by describing what you will do or what you will allow and not setting yourself up for failure by giving unenforceable commands, you are teaching them about the authority. Like you are, you will follow through with your your word as the authority figure, all the while expressing empathy and care and concern for a kid who decided to keep playing video games instead of eating dinner that was served at six o'clock. Uh, you can express a lot of empathy for, yeah, I bet you feel really hungry now that it's bedtime and you chose not to eat dinner. I bet you'll be hungry for breakfast tomorrow. I know I'm really hungry when I have to, when I choose to miss a meal or something like that. So it's Mm -hmm. always delivered with a heavy dose of empathy, but you have set the limit by using enforceable statements rather than issuing commands. Mm -hmm. Seems to me this has a better opportunity to have a heart change. Mm. And this is what we're looking for. I mean, that's what repentance Mm -hmm. is, is a heart change. Absolutely. Then if you're just told commands all the time by parents, I mean, God gives us commands and we do respond, but he also wants us to have a heart change. Absolutely. And I, I would say that I think that the Bible places the highest emphasis on the condition of our heart, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than our outward actions. There is definitely standards God holds us to that there are definitely things that are right and wrong, etc. But what he is most concerned with over and over in in scripture is the state of our heart. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that that, that the love and logic approach is one method that really can exemplify that and help, help kids Mm -hmm. learn through experience about the about the ways of God, you know, about mm-hmm. having heart change, being able to reflect on your actions and their consequences yeah, yeah. as you go. Oh, that's so good. So that concludes part two of Nicole Radin's podcast series on dealing with a difficult child. I hope you will come back for part three because she just has more and more goodness to share with us. I would imagine this podcast series is inspiring some questions or desire for more discussion about this topic. I encourage you to consider joining our twice-a-week Zoom discussion so you'll have an opportunity to talk a little bit more and get some questions answered and just sort of sort things out a little bit. I'm leaving in the show notes the link to the sign-up page. There's a small fee for basically administration. I think you will find that it'll be very, very valuable. So please consider that. And in the meantime, be sure to rest in the Lord this week. Mm -hmm.